Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bolick along with Kirstie Miles. And today is a very exciting podcast for us because we are actually in the same room. We usually are never in the same room, but we are in our brand new building that we just built here. And one of the rooms we built in the new building is a podcast room. So we are actually in the same spot today. So hey, I can like look at the table and wave at you. I know, and now I'm like, oh, now they have to watch me move around while I'm talking. You this can't is going to be really, really hard. You can't do this in your pajamas. <laughs> Not that you were before, Not but <laughs> no. No, but I was sitting on my hands so I wouldn't hit my cords and wires and mess up the audio. But you probably were doing it in your workout clothes because that's pretty much how you live, I'm assuming, if you're not at work. I do. So anyway, it's exciting though because we're both in the same room, so that's cool. But even more exciting is we're going to talk about what to do when the evaluation breaks down. So before we get started with that, I was a lifeguard at Disney and I worked at Typhoon Lagoon when they first opened up. So that tells you how very long ago it was a long time ago. But if somebody was drowning, what you had to do was you had to whistle, point, e-stop, go. And that has stuck with me like forever because if somebody's drowning, that's kind of life and death. Something needs to majorly needs to happen. Blow your whistle point at whoever it was, push the emergency stop button with your foot, and then jump in the water and save them. So whistle, point, you stop, go. And ever in my life since then, if there's an emergency type of situation, the first thing I think of, no lie, is emergency point, e-stop, go. And I have heard you in the clinic <laughs> setting say, whistle, point, point e-stop, e-stop, go. go. <laughs> <laughs> so there is no e-stop that we can push here with our foot. Not that we really need to have one of those. And I don't wear a whistle that I've thought about it at home. Um, <laughs> I have pointed though, and I do go. So the point and the go works. I'm like, huh, wait, stop. And then I go. But if we're talking about an evaluation situation, when you're going in with an eval, you know, I'm bringing it home, right? And you're thinking about an evaluation, you got a plan. We read the doctor's order. We know who's coming in. We think there was ample information that we received. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> and then, um, right. That's the, in, in that world, that's okay. Good. You're there. I got it. <laughs> um, it's a fantasy place, but that's all right. And we got good in- information. We have a plan. We say, okay, this is how this eval is going to go. Right. So we think we know. We know the general age. We know generally what they're coming in for, at least what concern is right. noted. There you go. So then, but basically the topic of the podcast today is, when none of that works out, like your plan doesn't work, your standardized test that you have planned, you can't give it for various reasons, what do you do? So emergency point, e-stop, go. So for a speech therapist, and we're going to talk about our own perspective, speech and motor and PT and that kind of thing today. But for a speech therapist, sometimes the first thing we want to go to is like a parent, you know. Interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, there's several parent interview tests out there. The real, the Rosetti. I just did one yesterday, the PD. I don't love any of them to death. I mean, I don't feel like you really get to the heart of, you can get to the Mine heart of Mine gave me it. nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Now, and, and, let, and let's be real clear here. Kirsty and I are all about parents and knowing what parents want for their child and hearing the parents. That's really what drives the whole goal train for mm-hmm. us is knowing what the parents want. But I mean, in an eval, if it's all parent interview and I do nothing with the child, I feel like I've missed something. I think a lot of times when, when you have those standard interviews like the real it doesn't always go back to what is most functionally important for that family in particular. So, you know, um, you might do the real, but mom's biggest concern is getting through Walmart without a meltdown. 
Yep. And she doesn't know what the child wants or needs at that given moment. Like your goal then as a therapist is to be like, how do we make that outing more successful? And so mom's not ready to pull her hair out by noon. Yep. Yep. She's still got the whole day left. (laughs) And the world doesn't ask that question. And the only way I figured that out, honestly, so if you're a new grad listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh my gosh, well, uh, you know, I was taught how to give the real and I was taught how to give the Rosetti and it's a parent interview. The only way I learned how not to just use a parent interview was by doing just parent interview assessments and then realizing later I missed half the stuff. I've learned this by doing, you know, so it's an easy, common mistake. Give the real, give the Rosetti, but there's something you're missing. So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay. So, um, so, but we're going to talk about today is what happens when the vowels breaking down and you're left with for a speech therapist, the real or Rosetti and just give it a parent interview assessment, but what else could you do? And so for PTs, you could standardize tests, but then what else can you do? Yep. So the first thing I say is, the first thing to me is if everything's breaking down and I'm like, all right, forget this. I can't give this assessment. This is not what I thought. Move just everything back away. Just me, you, kiddo, and the parent. You know, that's really what's left. I, the first thing I think about is, this is right after the emergency point e-stop go situation because that's what happens in my head. Click, whatever I was doing, something new is happening down there in the pool. You know, somebody is drowning, like literally not drowning, but it's going to go south in a big, huge way if I don't figure something out quickly, you know? So I'm not afraid to go out with the old plan, which was whatever my plan was, and in with a new plan. So don't be afraid to do that, I guess, in the assessment. And so the first thing I go to is, what do I know about normal, typical development? That's the first thing I think of. Is that what you think? Yeah, I think it's really important to always go back to basics. I think a lot of times people start to overcomplicate it because when you get in that panic, like, oh, my plan is not working out, and then you, you kind of forget all your basics. And if you just stick to the basics, you have enough to get you through. Yep. So it's keeping it simple. Yeah, exactly. Don't overthink it. Don't over. And really, you know, a lot of times the breakdown is for the younger kids, not necessarily an older child, maybe, but maybe not as frequently. Well, I mean, just for example, I had an evaluation yesterday. The only thing that came over on that referral was cerebral palsy. I have a six-year-old with cerebral palsy. I don't know if they're ambulatory. I don't know what level they're at. I don't know if they can sit independently. I don't know whether I should pull the bot. Can't do the Peabody because she's out of age. Or the PDs, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go with the PD and we'll take it from there. Honestly, no test was appropriate. So when I watched dad carry the child in, she has no head control. My first thought was, gosh, do they have equipment? Right. I mean, that's how we started the evaluation, just asking some basic questions. And I just do enough to get going and know what they have and where they've been. And what do you want to get out of therapy? Like, why are you here? Mm -hmm. You know, and that as I'm doing hands-on and assessing where she's at, like my whole plan went out the window yesterday, but that's fine. I don't know that that PD would have given me any information to be helpful. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. So the first thing is when it's all going haywire and your plan's not going to work, just don't overthink it or don't make it overly complicated. And so for speech, if you've got the little people, the first thing I think of is, okay, so how do they ask for something? That's the basic. I mean, you kind of did the basic. Okay, so the dad's carrying this little child in. She's not walking in, not crawling in, not jumping in. That's the uh basic. Like, how's she going to move from one spot to the other? Yeah. That's your emergency point, e-stop, go, basic. How do you get here from point A to point B? For me, speech therapist, how do you tell people what you want? Right. You know, so that's the first thing I figure out is how do you tell people what you want? So that's usually the question I ask. So, and if you think about it, that's expressive 
language, right? And that's what an standard assessment does anyway. It breaks down the different things, but one of the things the speech therapist is going to test for is expressive language. So the first thing is, how do you tell me what you want? So then I to a, for me, an activity that I could do for like a younger child is, well, I'll ask the parents, you know, how does he tell you what he wants at home? So if something's out of reach and he can't get to it or she can't get to it, what do they do to tell you they want something? And then usually the parents will say, oh, well, he reaches and goes, uh, uh, or he takes my hand and I go get it, or he just screams, or he'll say the word. Or he throws himself down on the floor and... I have to figure out, do you want this one? Do you want this one? Do you want this one? (laughs) Totally, exactly. So once I know kind of what they do to ask for something, then I know what activity to pull out, you know? So then I know what to go with. So if the parents are doing like your example and he's saying, oh gosh, the parent says, oh, he screams for everything and I got to try to figure it out, then I don't want to pick a toy or activity where he's gonna have to really do a lot to try to figure out how to communicate with me, right? So I'll go like to a wind-up toy, bubbles, where it's pretty fast, you do this thing, you get this action. You do this, like you blow a bubble, you get a bubble. You know, you wind this toy up, it does something. You stack up these two or three blocks, you knock it over. You pull this car back and it goes across the room. Just something very very fast and very quick because if they're quick to scream and fall out on the floor and that kind of thing they want an immediate quick response you don't have like a patient child you're dealing with because patient kids don't tend to tantrum quickly and if the parents like oh gosh well as soon as he wants something he starts screaming kicking his feet on the floor then you don't have a lot to deal with so you know you got to be fast and you better pick things that's like really quick that ball run where you hit the balls at the top and they run down the maze you know those are things i pick and then what are you doing are you categorizing oh he looked at me for more he that one gestured he pointed to it he said eh. so then what i want to figure out is if the parents like oh he screams for everything I do believe the parents, don't misunderstand. I do believe exactly what they're telling me. And I want to see, does he do anything else? So then I just got to figure out, okay, how long before he gets to that screamy place? And does he do anything that's socially, more socially appropriate before that? So does he have a couple of words in there that maybe nobody else understands and nobody else is really understanding as a word, but for him it's a word. So for example, before he screams on the floor, does he look at me and go, uh, I mean, if he does that's a lot of communicative intent. So I need to give him some credit for that, you know? Or does he, if I say, if I wind it up and go, you want more? And he goes, ma. And he says, ma, every single time. That's a word. And he's imitating the word more. So then that gives me, I'm not giving the PLS at this moment, but I can check off of several boxes. So he can do a gesture or does he hand it to me? If he hands it to me and does eye contact, we've got social interaction. We've got joint attention. We've also got communicative intent. He can use a gesture. He can, I mean, that's, there's a lot that just happened in that little thing right there. He can also vocalize a vowel and a consonant together. So there's a bunch of checks on the boxes that I just checked off right there. If he doesn't look at me at all, he doesn't really pay attention to the fact that I even wound anything up and did it. He's just only concerned about that toy and like myself and the parents and really people in the room don't matter that much to him. Then we've got a definite social pragmatic impairment something happened and then I start my brain starts going in a different direction regarding things and therapy stuff I need to work on Mm -hmm. and that also which leads me a lot to the understanding piece so if he like for example let's just stick with the same little dude whoever this dude is is screaming on the floor how does he ask for this thing can he use a gesture can he use a vocalization can he make eye contact you know how much can I push him with this vocalization thing so like then if if he can do the wind-up toy and he can do the bubbles and he's imitating ma for more for the wind-up toy and ba for the bubbles then I want to see what other sounds can I get so for the ball I'll go pop even though I know 
balls and pop don't necessarily go together, but I just want to see he can do M and a B sound. So can he do a P? Because he's doing all those bilabials. So then I want to work in like, okay, can you do a D and a T? So then I start to test for all these different sounds in there. So I'm also doing a speech assessment with my language assessment, and I'm seeing, okay, can he do consonant vowel, vowel consonant, consonant vowel consonant, consonant vowel consonant vowel. You know, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm testing there, and I don't ever have to get out of, but I'm never going to be able to get that from the real or the Rossetti, not in that type of way. Because, and it's not the parent's fault, but just think about it. If you're dealing with a child that's screaming for everything, that's a lot of screaming at your house, you know? And so you're not going to pay attention to the subtle little little cues he's got because you're just you're just trying to get through the day I mean God bless you you know you're like thank goodness it's bedtime yeah but you know and bedtime's getting early and earlier every day and I don't blame you so you're gonna stop paying attention to it and that's my job I need to figure out, out that and then I need to say actually you know what he can do pbs and m's and he can do t's and d's and he's doing them consistently that's my job to point that out and it's my job to figure it out and it's my job to figure out how can I help you as a parent get that more more of that and less of the screaming yep. but i can't get that from the real rosetti in that type of way this real functional and in the moment and you can do it with a couple of simple little things and literally you can do that in about 10 minutes tops for all that stuff i just said because really you don't have much longer than that he's gonna he's probably gonna that little down. person i don't know what his attention span is like we haven't gotten there yet i probably don't have much longer than that so and it just really looks like play so that's my first thing expressively what can he do so when i say okay we're done with the expressive part i don't say okay now i've done assessing the expressive part now i'm moving on to receptive you know, if the whole valve falls apart you're still going to assess receptive expressive play social skills you're still going to uh, speech skills you're still going to assess all of that but you're going to do it all together now yeah it's kind of like back in grad school one of the things you know they teach you okay range of motion assessment strength assessment do your manual muscle test then this assessment but they wanted you to be like okay here's all the things you test when the patient is laying on their back then here's all the things you test when they're laying on their stomach but you have a child you can't do all that you got to be able to be more on the fly because they're not gonna do it in that order they don't just stay on their back when you tell them to no not so much (laughs) what (laughs) that's crazy that's nuts oh no and there might be somebody else running through the room (laughs) or little sister's gonna step on their head so they have to move their head right (laughs) (laughs) or brother or whatever yeah so it's really really hard to just test any one given thing and then move on to the next because everything we do has to be so fluid. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Exactly. What you just said, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm sort of breaking it down into, okay, if the eval falls apart, you have to test expressive and here's some examples. You have to test receptive and here's some examples, but in in a real time evaluation, it's all happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. So expressively, I just kind of went over some expressive stuff we also touched on speech, but you have to look at receptive. So how do you do that if you don't have a standardized assessment and you're not just dependent upon the parent interview, what are you looking at for receptive? And again, you kind of go back to what you know, and there are just the basics of normal development. And so you want to figure out what is their understanding? So, so you want to go back to the beginning and work your way up. So if you've got a little person, zero to three, all right, do you understand if I say common phrases or cut words like mama, daddy, things that you hear regularly, routinely, are you going to understand me? And usually I'll ask the parents, so do they understand if you say, hey, where's mama, where's daddy? Are they looking, do they understand that? Where's like the name of the dog or the cat or the brother or the sister or whatever? Or, you know, where's Baba or for bottle or go get your shoes. You know, I usually start with people and then I work into familiar objects, which is usually food. 
And then I work into objects like shoes. And then I work into phrases like, okay, let's go bye-bye. Hey, let's go. You ready to go? Like phrases. So a lot of times for kids, let's go bye-bye. That's a phrase, but it all means one thing. Like we're leaving and going in the car. We're leaving going in the car. That means you got to get your shoes on. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> There's a whole lot that's going there. Or let's go night-night. That's a phrase, but it basically means bed, sleep, you know, or where's your bye-bye? If bottle, it basically means eat, you know? So then I'll ask. So first I'll ask mama, daddy, brother, sister, or whoever else is in the house. And then I lump animals into that too. Cause you know, cat dog usually high up there with family members. And then I go to familiar objects and then I go to familiar phrases. And sometimes kids understand familiar phrases before they'll identify a name and an object. And then I'll usually go to pictures. So I'll ask them like this. Okay. So what does he do? If, if does he respond to, or she respond to where's mommy, where's daddy? What, what do they do? And then if they say, oh, they look right at me. I'm like, okay, great. So then are there certain phrases they can understand? Like, hey, let's go bye-bye or where's my bottle or whatever, like I just said. And if they say, yeah, he understands that to them. Okay, great. So then I move to the next thing. Okay, so if you say, hey, go get your shoes. Do they understand shoes? Will they go get them? Do they understand? Okay, so go get your shoes and bring them to me. Two-step direction. You know, then they understand, okay, I can identify the shoes and then I can go get something that's not in the room. So I understand memory-wise where it is in the house and I can bring it back. That tested a whole bunch of stuff right mm -hmm. there. Two-step directions. And then if they're like, oh, I don't think he can do that. So then I'll back it up. Okay, so if you name objects, does he look for the objects? TV, shoes, chair, you know, things that you think about that are in a house toothbrush, whatever he comes into contact with. Then I'll go to single step direction. So if I say, go get your shoes and they're in the room, will he do that? Mm -hmm. Go get your shoes or do you have to point? Can you say, go get your shoes and to bring them to me without pointing if they're in the room? Or do you need to say, go get your shoes and point and then bring them to me with a gesture. So then that tells you he can understand a single step direction with or without gestures or a double step direction with or without gestures. Or does he just understand the gestures or is he not getting any of it? And that tests about three or four things on the PLS. It's so. definitely enough to write five goals. Amen. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got a goal plan all day long with that, right? Yeah. And so, but that's all receptive skills. What do they understand? And then if they got all that and they're like, oh, they can do all that. Then I'm like, so what do you do when he's reading a book? Can you say, hey, show me the tree, show me the cat, show me the cow. Like if you're reading a book to him and they're like, oh yeah, he can identify the pictures and point to him and all that. But honestly, if they can do all that, you can probably give them the PLS. Most of the kids, they're not doing any of that stuff. Right. You stop somewhere with objects or a single step direction, you know? That's where it, the wheels came off the wagon. So if they like, oh, yeah, he can identify pictures, and I'm not sure why you're not giving him a PLS. So then you need to really evaluate and soul search, but not right then. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> soul search later. Evaluate now. Okay. So that's receptive. So you got to figure out what do they understand and what's their level of understanding. So then you're going back to your basics, what you understand, like people first, common objects, pictures, can identify a name, label, I mean, identify and then point label, that kind of thing. And then single step directions with a gesture, single step directions without a gesture, double step directions with a gesture, double step directions without a gesture. Boom. That's just typical normal development. So you just, you go back to that for receptive. And then where do you break down? And the big question with this, if your eval has totally broken down is, do they relate to people differently than objects? So do you as a person mean more to him than this chair? You know, because some kids maybe demonstrate characteristics of somebody with autism. And again, we're not diagnosing autism. We don't, that's not what we do. We don't diagnose a child with autism, but we might identify some characteristics of a child that might be similar to something like autism. But if they aren't really relating to you as a person any more better than this chair, because you're a stranger, then that might be some red flags about some social pragmatic stuff and receptive stuff. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's what you break it down to.
And then when you're summarizing it for your evaluation, you basically have what can they do and what can't they do. That's really what it comes down to. Yep. So then if just to wrap it all up still, you still have to pay attention to speech. So you want to evaluate well, like what I was saying earlier, the speech. You want to figure out what vowels are they saying? Are they repeating their vowels? Are they babbling? Are they using jargon? So go back to the developmental stuff. Babble, jargon, vocalizations. Are they imitating vocalizations? Are they independently using vocalizations? Are they imitating verbalizations? Are they independently using verbalizations? So you have to think babbling, jargon, imitating sounds and stuff, and then imitating words. That's all that is. And then saying words independently. And if they can say words independently, are they putting using single words? Two words, three word phrases. So it's just from normal development on up. And so you basically want to try to do things where you just want to hear what they can say. So then that's just a bunch of playing with the purpose. You know, the whole, like I was saying, with the bubbles, with the car, you want to do things where they have to work on communicative intent, where they have to try to ask for something and request something. You want to try to see what kind of sounds they do. And really consistency and sensitivity are the two key words I can say in this situation. You want to be sensitive to communicative attempts and consistent in how you provide your model and your cues and your prompts and how you set up your stuff. Because if you're all over the map, if you're saying for a child that's tantruming and his receptive skills, you've already figured out are kind of not really where they need to be. If you're like, hey, okay, let's play the bubbles. I'll get out the bubbles. Here they go. Ready? One, two, three. I'm going to blow the bubbles. You get them. Stop them. Blow the bubbles. What in the world has just happened right here? Up in here, you know, I don't even know what you just said. You know, so you one, two, three, and blow the bubbles. And then you consistently one, two, three, blow the bubbles. All the rest of the stuff is just the want, 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 like Charlie Brown talk. You're just cluttering the situation. You want to figure out. So consistency and how you provide the cues and models. And then sensitivity, meaning your sensitivity to their communicative attempts is the two key things. Consistency, sensitivity. Does that make sense? It does. So from a PT perspective, if we're, you know, same thing happens. I, if we're talking about the same age range, you know, a three-year-old, four-year-old, and We've got very little on the script. Sometimes it'll say developmental delay, lack of coordination, gait abnormality. (laughs) Those are pretty common ones for that age group. We bring in the Peabody typically, and you start the evaluation, but to do that in a standardized way, they have to be able to follow directions or imitate movements specific to the test. If they can't follow directions, and so obviously there's a speech concern as well, and I'll be referring for speech, <laughs> but I'll have to look at some of the items on the Peabody and then set up the environment so that they are going to go to that or do that or perform that because they're not going to follow my directions. And then while I'm doing it, I'm looking at how they're doing it, what they're doing. Mom, do you see something different at home? What happens about when this? Do you have steps to enter or leave your home? How does he do them, you know, without you prompting him or without you helping him? You know, because we have a little tiny set of steps in the office with a handrail that's child height and (laughs) you don't have that at home. So, oh, mom's like, oh, well, there's two steps to get up on the front porch, but there's no rail. You know, well, how does he do those? You know, so it gives us a definite direction in how to develop a goal plan when the child's not attending. And obviously that's going to be a bigger concern because if they're not following simple directions at age three and four, you definitely need to collaborate with speech therapy then. So give me an example if they aren't doing the thing you said about the Peabody. Like what's an example? Um, Well, there's all different subtests on the Peabody. So you have your stationary skills, you have your locomotor skills, and then you have ball play. If they're not following directions for single leg stance, the way that you have to give that is like, okay, watch me put your hands on your hips now stand on one foot I mean if you have a three-year-old that's not following any directions I might take their shoe off 
and then see if they'll let me put it on without them holding on to anything. Mm, and then good. I know functionally, okay, well, he can hold his balance or nope, he sat right down. <laughs> you know, he's not yeah. uncomfortable to lift a foot to stand. So that's something I give for homework a lot if we have to work on standing balance, which is not what this podcast is about. But I'm like, put on shoes standing up. You got to do that a couple of times a day, right, mom? Yeah. And then you can work on balance. But, you know, from a functional standpoint, they can't maintain balance to put on shoes. They can't maintain balance to put their pants on and step into their pants. You know, that's more functional than, hey, put your hands on your hips and stand on one foot. Three-year-old doesn't care. No. <laughs> no. So as far as function for that standardized test, what's the purpose yeah. of it? So you want to think about the real-life application. Uh-huh. So what about a locomotion one? Locomotion would be walking, running, jumping. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked a lot by, it's happened in twice in the past week from a speech therapist I have a three-year-old that's not jumping yet or hey their jumping looks like this and I'm just like well here let's go look at a Peabody so about this age they should be jumping jumping up jumping forward jumping down from a step and they're like well they're not doing any of that I'm like we'll make a referral Mm -hmm. you know because if they're not doing that they're probably missing some other areas Mm -hmm. just setting up the environment and possibly just making an obstacle course where you got to tie in some of these things because that's more fun than just being like Okay, we're going to step up on this step. Now, ready? Jump down. Yeah, like whatever. <laughs> if there's not a purpose of jumping down, especially right. for a child with autism who doesn't really, I mean, they're kind of doing their own gig anyway, so they're not really caring about jumping down off a step, and if they never jump down, they don't care. Or why would they walk on a line? Like, what purpose mm. out in the world is there for walking on a tape line? It not never really. comes up. Never. But I'm like, well, <laughs> kids... T- today they don't play like hey let's put pillows down on the ground and step on pillows and don't step in the water the alligator's there (laughs) so I'm sitting on the floor like I'm gonna get you chomp 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 and you know I'm like mom come on come on get down here be the alligator don't let us get you you know that has a purpose like I don't want to get bit by the alligator not hey let's walk across on the tape (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah right it's like there's there's got to be fun and purposeful and that kind of thing so you try to want to see that so as you're looking to see if they can like you say, walk on a straight line or whatever, then you're assessing other things that's preventing them from being able to do that. And then, and that's the bigger picture and medically why it's necessary for them to get PT. Yeah. And that game, like if they're having trouble doing that game, a child's purpose at that age is play. So they don't understand that game. They can't interact with you with that game. I do write goals for reciprocating play in gross motor, sensory motor games, like duck, duck, goose, Mm -hmm. ring around the rosy. Can we all fall down? On cue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Like, do we want to play it again? Like, are they going to ask for more? I Like, I pause and I wait. I just sit there on the ground and I'm like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Those are all good examples. If the Peabody, if you can't do it, then what are you going to do instead? Because you still got to get your results. And then you got to get up from the floor. So in the Peabody, there's a, can they stand up from the floor? Can they do a half kneel to stand? In the functional world, why? I mean, to just be able to get up from the floor, you know? But how do they get up from the floor? Does it take them a long time to get up from the floor? Or can they just pop up from the floor? Like, what does it look like? How do they do it? Because we just played Ring Around the Rosary and we all fell down. Like, right. we got to play again. <laughs> and there has to be a reason for them to get up. Right. Right. Otherwise, you're, I'm comfortable here. I'm just going to stay. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to get up. I'm fine. Right. Right. You know, which is a lot of them are that a lot of kids who aren't so demanding are kind of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Y'all. So my evaluation might be, let's play Ring Around the Rosie. And then we're doing that. And like, people are like, what is she doing? I'm like, well. I got to fall down. The Peabody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the Peabody. 
body. What? Where, where have you been? How fun is it to be like, okay, everybody, let's get down on the floor. Now let's stand up. Like, <laughs> that sounds very lacking purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. It's interesting you gave that example of like with standing on one foot with your hands on your hips and stuff like that. Because I've seen that before on the people I am like, so why? But like putting your shoe on, that as soon as you said that, I'm like, yeah, of course you do have to take lift one up, put your shoe on, right? Yeah, I have to you know, all the time because the bench in my bedroom is all the time cluttered with other things that are not mine, of course, or my husband's, and it's all his fault. But whatever, <laughs> that's another podcast, a whole other day. But you got to stand up all the time with single leg and put your shoe on. And if you can't do that, it's a real problem. Yeah. Or kids can put their pants on sitting down on the floor, but now you're in a public restroom. Like you want them no, sitting on the like floor. Nastiness. Like Ugh. we have to be able to stand and do <laughs> yeah. that. So yeah. I think you have to think bigger than like <laughs> just right. the immediate here and now. Right. Right. Or if you take your shoes off and you are up from nap at the end, if you're a daycare and you're up from nap, you got to put your shoes on real quick. Usually you get up from nap, you have a snack real fast. There's not a lot, a lot of time for transition, right? It's no. like up from nap and boom, they're running to the table. But usually after you have your shoes on, so if it takes you forever to be able to get your shoes on you got to be able to balance on one foot to get it on real quick and then run yeah or to go outside or whatever because three-year-olds move uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good example and hayden you and i've worked together long enough we like function mm-hmm. good night there's got to be a reason for it <laughs> if there's not a purpose for stuff then i'm like why am i doing this yep and the older i get i swear the more that's getting ingrained yeah it's just like my sock example of the beginning you know if it's not a functional comfortable sock i just do not want it so as we wrap this up, I think the takeaways for this whole thing is to think, okay, if your eval is falling apart, for a speech therapist, you don't have to just go straight to a parent interview thing. Or for PTs or motor, you don't have to. But you have to look at what the test is asking, which is really go back to what you know about normal development because you learn that. That's what standardized testing is. It tells you, okay, they should be doing this at about this age. Use it as a guide, not like the be-all, end-all. Right. And then what can they do? And then so then if the functional assessment can't get done, then what can you do with them to get the information from that? Not that you're going to score the test because I know it's got to be done in a certain normative way and blah, got all that, blah, blah, blah. blah. (laughs) um, We love standardized tests. (laughs) Yay. Anyway, but you still have to get the same information. And then you can write your vow up and then you can figure out what they can and can't do and then why they need you. And write the goals. And I think it's really important to say it comes with experience. Mm -hmm. It does. So basically, at the end of the day, we're setting up the environment and we're creating the situations to get the same information, but in a fun, playful way, because that's what we do. That is what we do. And you know, really, as we were talking through this, I was thinking, I think the best avowals I've done are avowals like this, where the standardized test did fall apart, because really the child's comfortable, you're comfortable. You get to see more. You totally see more. They're comfortable. They really show you what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. So you really, I feel like, get to see a better snapshot of the child than one where they're sitting and doing exactly what the standardized test tells you to do. So there, boom, drop the mic. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I hope that was helpful, everybody. I like talking about that. But that to me, that's kind of cool and fun. I like that. It's a lot of problem solving. It's cool. So that is cool. Kirstie and I have done other podcasts about evaluations. And so check those out on The Working Therapist. And you can also access it. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. But you can also go to our website at pediatricdt.com. And there's a block on there to click the working therapist and you can find other podcasts there. We have a bunch of them, but there's a bunch of them on eval. So other information regarding that or other therapy topics, check us out and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. 
you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 